Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good uh, morning to those on the West Coast, and also those uh, Mountain Standard Time, and good afternoon to those in Central Time Zone and also East Coast. This is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God, a biblical instructional program. Today is January 16, 2010. My heart goes out, and I'm sure anyone is listening to me who is a follower of God. You go out to the poor Haitians that are suffering right now. Uh, we need to pray for them to get help as quick as possible. It's a very serious situation there, and I gave uh, $10. That's all I could spare anyway. Uh, I went to Oxfam. If you're looking for a an organization of notoriety and a good reputation, Oxfam is. If you just type in O as in Oreos, X as in X-Men, F-A-M, Oxfam, uh, please, I suggest and highly recommend that you contribute. Uh, I think most Americans who are working full-time can afford at least $10. So please uh, help these people and don't worry about where the money's going. Uh, God, if you pray to God, God will... Make sure that the money that you give will go to where it needs to go to. We have to always remember that God is in control of everything. Nothing, and I mean nothing, does not happen unless he approves of it. So anyway, today I'm going to talk about God's way, not my way, your way, or anyone else's way, but God's way of teaching and training your children. Now, some of what I may talk about today may be a total shock to you. Um, the reason why, uh, let's again go over some basic scriptures that I have uh, talked about here recently in past programs, but Revelation 12 verse 9, we have to understand this premise or this model or paradigm that uh, we are about to study here so we can understand the rest of what I'm going to talk about today. Revelation 12 verse 9 states the the great dragon who was cast out that old serpent the devil and satan which deceives which means also to trick the whole world so the population of the whole world right now is close to seven billion people that's seven thousand million people and your bible the great god of the bible is telling you that most of us most of us have been tricked which means that we think we know, but we don't know about certain major things about life. 
And one of those, um, of course, is how to child rear or how to raise our children. Uh, many of our fathers, uh, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah chapter 16. This is a prophecy, but uh, it definitely applies to today as well. And back then, Jeremiah chapter 16, starting in verse 19. It states, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers, which course is a Jewish idiom for your ancestors, your past generations, have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? Verse 21, therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. In other words, he's going to heavily influence, not make you and control you, but heavily influence you to know him. I will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord, or YHWH, or YHVH, or Yahweh, or Yehovah, or some say Jehovah, which is a combination of uh, Yahweh and some other derivative uh, of a Hebrew name. But this is a prophecy to let us know that we have a serious problem, ladies and gentlemen. Our generations pass. Uh, the fact that in Galatians 1, verse 4, let's turn to that. Galatians 1, verse 4 states this. states simply that, in verse 4, Galatians 1, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins, is talking about Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Now, he's stating the fact that the world was evil back then, and the book of Revelation, which I've explained, is definitely a book for the 21st century. It, we're still being tricked today. It hasn't changed. This world is evil. Uh, matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 13, God states that, and says that's the reason why the world would be punished because of its wickedness and evilness. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 11 states plainly, and I will punish the world for their evil. So this hasn't happened yet, but it's, it's happening. It's happening. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 11, and I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and they will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Then he's going to make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir, which is a very rare type of gold to be found. And in verse 13, therefore I will shake the heavens. God says he's going to do this directly. I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place. This is what God is going to do. In the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. So it's because of the great wickedness of this world that this world will be judged. And also I'm going to prove to you it's because of the fact that we do not collectively as a human race know how to raise our children, the reason why evil has continued on. Uh, so those who have the Elijah spirit, or it may be Elijah, I, I don't know what Elijah God is referring to here uh, in Malachi. I know people speculate, but I'm just going to say, hey, whoever this Elijah is, or whoever they are, they have the spirit of Elijah. In other words, they think like Elijah, and they do the things Elijah did. Uh, Malachi, one of the things that 
that those who have the spirit of Elijah will do. Verse 5 of Malachi says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers. Now, the Septuagint does a marvelous job of translating this, and it states uh, the Septuagint, uh, for those who don't know what that is, is the first official uh, translation of the original Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament or the Tanakh to Greek. And in that translation, it states um, states the fact that a man shall learn how to uh, love his neighbor, or, or he will turn to a man toward his neighbor. It's still reconciliation, family reconciliation. That is the context of this. And why? Because people don't know how to love each other. They don't know how to raise their families properly, and that's the reason why there there continues to be evil on the earth. Children become adults, and then when those adults have children, how do they how do they train their children? Well, they train their children in most cases based on how their parents train them, and the cycle continues on. That's the reason why that prophecy in Jeremiah states, "Our fathers have inherited lies," because this process continues on and on and on. A good example is Christmas. People, a lot of people don't understand that Christmas really is a is a very recent development in the history of the United States. So we didn't really start celebrating Christmas officially to the latter part of the 19th century, and many people don't realize that God, of course, the all-knowing God, is not going to fail to talk about Christmas, would he? No. If you turn to Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 1. He states this, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, you house of Israel. And again, many times when I have explained to, to you, when you see the house of Israel, don't assume as it's talking about the Jews. It's also talking about us. The United States, Britain, the, 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 the nations in northwestern Europe, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. For proof of that, please go to www.britam.org. Go to my blog talk radio website. Go down to the link at the bottom. It says the the ten lost tribes of Israel. Click on that. You'll you'll see biblical and secular proof outside the Bible. That's what secular means. That uh, we are a part of Israel. We are a major part of Israel. But anyway, in verse two of Jeremiah chapter ten, thus says the Lord: Learn not the way of the heathen or pagans. And be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. Verse 3, for the customs of the people are vain. So now he's going to give you an example of one custom, one custom that I'm sure you're very familiar with, and most Americans are very much familiar with. For one, cuts a tree out of the forest, and the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe, they deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither is it also in them to do good. Now, some people will read that and say, well, it's okay to celebrate. No, it's not okay to celebrate it because in verse 3 it says, for the customs of the people are vain, and then, he, and then colon means to, to continue the thought. For one cuts a tree out of the forest, and the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe, and they deck it with silver and with gold. Now, come on. If that's not a Christmas tree, what is it, people? 
He's saying that this custom is vain. And he states in Deuteronomy chapter 12, that Deuteronomy chapter 12, starting at verse 30, Take heed to thyself that you be not snared by following them. Well, actually, let me start in verse 29 of the context. When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whether thou goest, this is talking about our ancestors, our fathers, who we are from, whether they goest to possess them, thou succeedest them, thou dwell. Wait a minute, verse 29. When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whether thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their land, take heed to thyself that you be not snared by following them. After that they be destroyed from before thee, that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Now, I quoted that scripture in Jeremiah 10. This is a custom of the heathen. And God is telling us that he doesn't want us to have anything to do with the customs of the heathen. Verse 31. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination to the Lord which he hates. He hates Christmas. He hates the Christmas tree. He doesn't like Christmas because it's a custom of the heathen that's bad. Have they done unto their gods, for even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. Verse 32, What thing whatsoever I command you, observe to do it. You shall not add to it, nor diminish from it. In other words, don't destroy the law. If there's any tradition that you develop from it, it should not take away from it. It should encourage further obedience, further obedience toward the law. That's what he's telling us. So that's just an example of the many things that, unfortunately, parents are teaching their children. And Christmas is, is a good example of, of the, the great deception that the devil has, uh, has uh, broadcast, so to speak, through the power of the air to each and every one of us. And it's only by the mercy of God that I'm talking to you today and telling you that Christmas and, and other things that we have taught our children are outright lies. But anyway, we need to learn how to properly teach and train our children. And in this program, I'm going to do the best I can to show you how to do that. And I am a father myself, and I have done to the best of my ability, and he's 14, he'll be 15 next year, raised my child. And uh, he's a decent child, and he gets straight A's. Um, he's not a wicked person. Uh, he has the usual rebellion that any other child has, uh, but he's not a horrifyingly wicked person. And and he it looks like he's developing into being a very fine man. That's going to be an example and, and also show people the way to God. But the same thing can happen for you, too, if you just apply what I'm going to teach you today. Now, what you must understand is that the devil has done a marvelous job of the tricking every single human being on this earth except Jesus. So you must understand that. And you must realize that your parents, they meant well, but they did not teach you properly. The majority of, of, of parents have been taught by other parents, and their parents taught them, and, and it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, and something happened after Adam and Eve sinned, and they lost the knowledge on how to child rear properly. And that has been going on ever since. Proof of the fact that God, in prophecy, still causes world wicked. 
how did the world get wicked? How is the world continuing to be wicked? Well, because parent, uh, parents aren't raising their children properly. That's why. All right, so in Genesis, let's begin here. This is God's words, not mine. Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, starting in verse 21. This is what God t- says about us. So I think we need to pay attention and stop thinking we know better than him. After all, he created us. Genesis 8, verse 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground for any more. I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Again, let me repeat that and underscore that. The Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination, the imagination, in other words, how we think, how we think, is according to what he states here. I'm looking for another uh, easier way to understand this. Where imagination, how we think, or yes, the intent or thought of man's heart or mind is evil from his youth. So that's what the God, that's what God tells us. He says, I know. I remember I was in class when I was trying getting my degree and management from National Lewis University, and I remember a teacher, she got angry and irate because I believed that we were evil from our youth. And this scripture, of course, backs up what I was saying. I didn't know the scripture was in the Bible. I read the whole Bible, but I forgot certain verses, and I didn't realize that this verse only confirmed what I thought. But anyway, uh, Psalm 51, verse 5. Psalm 51, verse 5. Psalm 51, verse 5. States this. And this is from King David, a man after God's own heart. He states in verse 5. It says, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity. He was shaped in iniquity. Oh, he was brought forth in iniquity. So he was brought forth in sin. We are all brought forth in sin, ladies and gentlemen. And in sin did my mother conceive me. So we are all born in sin. The only individual that was never born in sin was Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ. Psalm 58. Psalm 58, verse 3. The wicked are estrangled from the womb, colon, continue to doubt. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. So the wicked are estrangled from the womb, They go astray as soon as they be born speaking lies. So that means, of course, if the whole world is evil, that means the majority of babies, unfortunately, are wicked. And it states here, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born speaking lies. And this is what your Bible says. This is not me. So if you're going to get mad, get mad at God, not me. Isaiah chapter 48. All I'm doing, all any true minister or servant of God should do is just quote from the Bible, and that's what I'm doing. Isaiah chapter 48, this is pretty interesting. It said this about us, the nation of Israel, including the Jews. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 1. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. And that's our people today. We play this game that we love God, but we don't obey his commandments and what he means by not in truth or righteousness 
truth is defined in the Bible as the Torah or the teachings of God or the law. That's the translated law in the King James Version. It should be translated Torah, which is the teachings of God. So in Psalm 119, verse 142, it states that your law is the truth or the Torah is the truth. Now, righteousness is defined in the Bible in Psalm 119, verse 172. It says, let me turn there, Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 172, it states, uh, My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. So whenever the Bible talks about truth, whenever it's talking about righteousness, truth is all the teachings and doctrines of God, which includes the commandments. And then righteousness is talking about keeping the commandments. Remember that. So he's stating here that, that the house of Jacob or the house of Israel, or, or Israel, including the Jews, have a problem. Have a problem. And the problem is that they make mention of God, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. In other words, they don't want to keep the commandments, the commandments that they should keep, or the commandments that they can keep the best of their ability. Verse 2, For they call themselves of the holy city, and stay themselves upon the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I did suddenly, and they came to pass, because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow brass. Verse 5, I have even from the beginning declared it to thee, before it came to pass, I showed it thee, that now she used to say, my idol have done them, and my graven image and my molten image have commanded them. Verse 6, thou hast heard, you see all this, and will you not? And will not ye declare it? I have showed thee new things from this time, even hidden things, and you did not know them. They are created now and not from the beginning, even before the day when thou heardest them not, that not thou shouldst say, Behold, I knew them. Verse 8. Yes, thou heardest not. Yes, thou knewest not. Yes, from that time thine ear was not open, for I knew that you would deal very treacherously and was called a transgressor from the womb. Now he's telling us about Israel, all of us, that he knew that we were transgressors from the womb. Incredible scripture, but true. Now, in Deuteronomy, 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 chapter 6, no, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 9, Deuteronomy chapter 9, starting in verse 7, gives us a synopsis of the rebellion of our people. Daniel chapter 9, verse 7. Remember and forget not. Actually, let's start in verse 6. Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. So God in his mercy did not give the entire nation of Israel back then our, our um, ancestors, our fathers, he did, he did not give the land of Palestine back then because of their righteousness, because hardly any of them did any righteousness. Only Caleb and and uh, Joshua was allowed to, to pass over, and then the, the, the descendants of those who committed the sins, the children, were allowed to, to go into the land of Palestine at that time. He says, for thou art a stiff-necked people, and we still are today. And they were back then, and we are today. We just don't want to obey. We don't want to do 
what God tells us to do. And stiff-necked means stubborn and rebellious. Verse 7. Remember and forget not how you provoked the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you did depart out of the land of Egypt until you came into this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry with you to have destroyed you. Verse 9, when I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant or agreement which the Lord made with you, then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights. I neither did eat bread nor drink water. And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God. And on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And verse 11, And it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant or the agreement. Verse 12, And the Lord said unto me, Rise, get thee down quickly from hence, for thy people which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They are quickly, not slowly, quickly, turned aside out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. Furthermore, the Lord spake unto me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Verse 14, Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mount, and the mount burned with fire, and the two tables of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, ye had not sinned against the Lord your God, and had made you a molten calf. Verse 16, And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, and had made you a molten calf. You had turned aside quickly out of the way which the Lord had commanded you. And I took the two tables and cast them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first forty days and forty nights I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which you sinned and doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was angry against to destroy you. But the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry, not little angry, very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. And I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and burnt it with fire, and stabbed it, and ground it very small, even until it was as small as dust. And I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mount. And at Tabarath, and at Masha, and at Kabra Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Verse 23, Likewise, when the Lord sent you to Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you believed him not, nor hearkened to his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. That's sad, ladies and gentlemen. This is Moses, one of the greatest prophets in the Bible, and he's saying that these people, our descendants, were rebellious from the day that he knew them. That's sad. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. This is the reason why, ladies and gentlemen. Ephesians 2, verse 3. Excuse me, sorry. Ephesians 2, verse 3. Starting in verse 1. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now he's talking about people who 
had stopped being rebellious and, and turned to God. Oh, excuse me again, boy. I started sneezing all of a sudden. There must be something in the air here. Anyway, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Actually, verse 2. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So that's what, what the devil is, too. He, he controls the atmosphere. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Okay, so that that is the... That's what they were going through back then, and, and most people are in that mode today. The devil broadcasts his attitude and, and, and his wickedness in the air, in the atmosphere, and we are affected by that, and we tend to do more evil than good because of that, particularly those who aren't close to God and don't teach their children the commandments from, from birth. Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4, starting at verse 1. This is another prophecy of the many. This is a prophet, Hosea. You should be studying all the prophetic books right now, ladies and gentlemen, because prophecy is happening right before your eyes. And it's going to continue to happen up until the return of Jesus Christ upon this earth. Hosea 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth. No mercy or no knowledge of God in the land, which means that the majority of the time, no truth, no mercy, or no knowledge is taught in the land. Because he said, the few will find a way to life. So there's a few people, but when God talks like this, he really means the majority of people just aren't being taught the truth. And there's hardly any mercy or knowledge of God in the land, true knowledge of God. Verse 2, and this describes our country. And, and, and it does describe Britain and, and the other countries in northwestern Europe. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing, we do that every day in this country. Committing adultery, and they commit adultery every day. And break out and blood touch of blood, that's also talking about the 1.2 million abortions that uh, we allow. And I was studying that too about the abortions, and one of the facts that I found out was that the majority of abortions are done because of personal choice. I think between 93 and 98 percent. Only 1% of abortions are done because of the risk of the mother dying. So that would, that would say about 99%, between 93 and I can't remember the exact figure, but it's very high, between 93 and 99% of abortions are done because of personal choice, because they want to do it. So God calls you a murderer if you're doing that. So that, that, that's just, uh, you know, how would you feel, women? Uh, for those who have committed abortion or thinking about it. How would you feel if somebody killed you? Okay, would you, would you like somebody to kill you in your womb? That, that's the thing you need to think about when you're thinking about killing a child that you have. Now, I know in situations where you've been raped, well, still, that's an innocent child. And you should think of it as a gift, as, as a privilege, that you have a, the ability... And I, and I guarantee you this, if any of you women have been raped and you're pregnant because of it, if you take care of that child, if you if you make up your mind to take care of it, God will bless you with the means to do it. I know that. It will happen. It will happen. I know that for a fact. Okay, so 
but of course if you turn out to be a wicked person you know that's not going to happen but if you if you decide to take care of that child and teach the child the right way god will bless you and provide for that child but anyway getting to hosea chapter 4 So blood touches blood, and that's talking about abortions and, and other types of abominations that are happening in this country as I'm speaking. Verse 3, Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the... And this is, this is, you know, people right now are looking at CNN and, you know, laying back, eating pizza or whatever they're doing, and, and looking at all the devastation and destruction. But, folks, it's going to happen to us if we don't change our attitude. Now, it's good that, you know, President Obama had President Bush and, and President Clinton there saying they're going to start a program to send money and all that. And I sincerely hope that the money goes to where it's supposed to. It seems like every time they have this, I hear reports of the money not being there, going there, or some other type of complication and whatever. But uh, the point of the matter is, I want to make this point. According to, uh, I think it's Feed, Feed America now, I think they call themselves now, uh, FeedingAmerica.com, there are 49, 48 to 49 million people in this country, in this country, not in Haiti, but in this country, don't have enough food to eat. So let's, let's, let's be plausible here and let's use our common sense. If we can't eliminate poverty in this country, which according to former presidential candidate uh, John Edwards stated that we would need $20 billion, $20,000 million, which we could easily afford in this country because we had the richest uh, people in the world in this country. Basically, we can afford that easily. The populace of this country could easily submit or give to a fund that would help eliminate poverty in this country. But my point is this. If we cannot eliminate poverty in a country where our gross domestic product, which is the sum total of all goods and, and services and products, um, is $12 trillion, is $12,000 billion uh, that we have to $14 billion of, of revenue or monies available. Uh, if we can't dish out $20 billion a year to solve our own poverty problem, what makes us think we're going to be able to successfully help those poor Haitians which 80% of the population lives below the poverty level. I think their per capita income per year is just $1,000. Let's, let's be realistic here, all right? And we have a problem in this country, and there, this problem is like a disease because other countries are influenced by our attitude and because we're supposed to be the world leader in morality and everything else, and... Uh, whenever a leader falls apart, in most cases the followers fall apart. And we lead the world in wickedness. We lead the world in pornography. We lead the world in, in probably abortions. Uh, we, we lead the world probably in adultery. Uh, we, we lead the world in, in a lot of wickedness. And, and we need to repent of that because if we don't, this is what's going to happen in verse 3. Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of the heaven. Yes, the fishes of the sea shall also be taken away. Yet let no man strive, nor reprove one another, for thy people are as they that strive with the priests. Therefore shall thou fall in, in the day, and the prophet shall also fall with thee in the night, 
and I will destroy thy mother. Verse 6, and this is why. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's not just talking about physical knowledge. It's talking about the knowledge of God. And you're going to see that here in a minute. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, colon. Continue to thought, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, or a teacher, colon, continue to thought, seeing that thou hast forsaken the law of God. That's how, that's the kind of knowledge you're talking about, because the, the beginning of wisdom is what? The, uh, the knowledge of God. I will also forget thy children, and that's what I, that's the reason why I wanted to point this out here. God states that part of sinning and, and forgetting his Torah is that he will forget your children, and he has. And the result of that is the tremendous continued wickedness of this world. Verse 7, as they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. Verse 8, they eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. And there shall be like people, like priests. And I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings. Verse 10, for they shall eat and not have enough. So poverty's coming here to this country. I'm not talking about just 48 million. I'm talking about the majority of the population of this country. That's coming, ladies and gentlemen. And I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings. Verse 10, for they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. And he's talking about spiritual whoredom. In other words, going off in a different beliefs other than the true God and also physical and he states that with his spiritual or physical hoarder verse 11 hoardum and wine and new wine take away the mind you go crazy when you commit adultery whether it's spiritual or physical verse 12 my people ask counsel at their stocks and their staff declare unto them let me get the Jewish translation here of that it's a little unclear Hosea Hosea, where are you, Hosea? You are one of the former prophets. Okay, here we go. Hosea chapter 4, starting in verse 12, says, My people consult their piece of wood, their diviner's wine, speaks to them, for the spirit of whoring makes them err. They go off whoring, deserting their God. So when you desert God, knowledge of God, and in this context it's talking about religious knowledge, uh, it also will affect your mind. And that's considered adultery to him in a spiritual way. And, of course, committing uh, adultery in a physical way definitely destroys the mind as well. As I stated, we lead the world in pornography, and, and we are just messed up uh, <laughs> totally in reference to that. All right, so anyway, I just wanted to point that out. And for those who think that this is just for the Jews and so forth, well, there's a scripture in the New Testament that tells you, no, no, no. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, memorize where this chapter is at. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For those who think the law has been nailed to the cross. And also for those who think that the law has been nailed to the cross, the law of Moses, which is the law of God, please look at uh, my featured program. It's called... It's the law of Moses nailed to the cross. And I think you'll be very surprised what the Bible says about that. Anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read this in the uh, complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. 
First Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1, Complete Jewish Bible Version by David Stern. I suggest you pick up a copy to get the Hebraic background of the Bible, the Jewish background of the Bible. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, For brothers, I don't want you to miss the significance of what happened to our fathers. And what did I say about our fathers? Uh, what does God say about our fathers? That we have, our fathers have inherited lives. All of them were guided by the pillar of cloud, and they all passed through the sea. But as you're going to see, they disobeyed. And I've already read to you that they disobeyed. That's how they inherited lives. When you disobey God, you start to inherit lives. Verse 2, And in connection with the cloud and with the sea, they all immersed themselves into Moshe or Moses. Verse 3, Also they all ate the same food from the, same, from the Spirit. And they all drank the same drink, the Spirit, for they drank from a spirit-sent rock which followed them, and that rock was Messiah, which the God of the Old Testament was Yeshua Messiah. That's a Bible study in itself. But anyway, verse 5, Yet with the majority of them God was not pleased, so their bodies were strewn across the desert. I just mentioned that in verse 5. Yet with the majority of them, the majority, some, not all, did obey God, but the majority didn't. Yet with the majority of them God was not pleased, so their bodies were strewn across the desert. Verse 6, now these things took place as prefigurative historical events, warning us not to set our hearts on evil things as they did. So everything that happened in the Old Testament, particularly this event or events, is for our own examples. So we must keep the commandments like they did. Verse 7, don't be idolaters, idolaters, as some of them were, as the Tanakh puts it. The people sat down to eat and drink, then they got up to indulge in Revelry or partying. Verse 8, and let us not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did with the consequence that 23,000 died in a single day. Verse 9, let us not put the Messiah to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. Verse 10, and don't grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroying angel. Verse 11, these things happened to them as prefigurative historical events. And they were written down as a warning to us who are living in the Akram Hayim. Okay? So that means we are living in the days of the Messiah or the end times. Okay? So what happened then applies today as far as the context. We must obey God. We must commit to the covenant agreement that our forefathers made. So I just wanted to point that out. Now, how should we raise our children? I'm giving you a little backdrop or background information to, to help you to understand that, that uh, we are inherently evil. Matter of fact, in Jeremiah chapter 17, to add to that, uh, Scripture popped up in my mind again. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it states, The heart is deceitful or tricky above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, Verse 10 tells you who can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the veins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruits of his doings. And then there's another scripture, I think it's um, in, uh, let me find it here, that David, under the inspiration of God, had written. I think it's in Psalm 19. 
see if I can find it here. Well, Psalm 19, verse 12 states that who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. But there's another, there's another scripture that states that the word of God can be used to cleanse your mind. And I'm trying to find that one. Let's see. And then over in Psalm 51, verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Here we go. Psalm 119, verse 9, Wherewith shall a young man, a young man, cleanse his way? By taking heed according to thy word. Okay, that's Psalm 119, verse 9. So that's the reason why it's very important to teach your children the word of God. Because the word of God, and only the word of God, will cleanse your children's way. And how does that occur? By taking heed thereof according to the word of God. That's how that happens. Remember that scripture, Psalm 119. I'm going to do a good job of trying to remember it myself. Psalm 119, verse 9. And let me read this in the complete Jewish Bible version. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. That's how you do it. All right, now, let's get to what God says how we should teach and train our children, okay? Starting in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this is um, what the Jews called the, the first part of the Shema. And Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4 to 9, states this in the King James. It says, Hear, O Israel, hear, in original Hebrew, means to understand. Understand, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in your mind, and you shall teach them diligently, that means like you mean it, unto your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your home, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and it shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and you shall write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And you may read this and say, well, that's a little extreme. Well, you know, the way we look at television and the way we play video games is pretty extreme, too. All right, so which extremity do you want? You know, which extremity is going to cause blessings? That's what you really need to understand. But anyway, Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22, starting in verse 6, uh, six it states, uh, Train up a child in the way he should go. Now, we know that way has to be God's way, not the devil's way. Colon. And when he is old, he will not depart from it, which indicates that there's a little rebellion in between. You know, they, they, you know, you know how kids are. I've been like this, and we all have. We, we listen to our parents, and then we think that our parents don't know what we're talking about. They think that our they think that their parents don't know what they're talking about, so they go experiment anyway after their parents have told them not to do it, and then they fall on their face and they realize that their parents are right. And, and, the, and the thing is is that 
the smart child will listen to their parents, what they tell them, if what their parents are telling them is backed up by the Bible. And, of course, anything in the Bible here, if they read it, they don't have to go ask God. What, you know, They don't have to test God whether it's right or wrong. You know that it's coming from a perfect being, handed down the inspiration uh, or, or the wisdom was handed down uh, given to a man to write in the Bible. So anyway, Proverbs 3, verse 12 states this. It states, uh, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. So um, it's telling you that if you delight in your son, then you will correct your son. If you don't, you won't. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Proverbs 19, verse 18. It says, Chasten thy son while there is still hope. I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake here. Proverbs. Proverbs 19, starting in verse 8. No, verse 18, I'm sorry. It says, Discipline your child while there is hope, but don't get so angry that you kill him. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to get into that, but you, you need to to uh, do it in, in a kind of constrained way, all right? And you should be in, in, in control doing it. All right, um, other scriptures here. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Proverbs 22, verse 15, the complete Jewish Bible version. Doing wrong is firmly tied to the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline would drive it far from him. And let's look up the word rod. And I know many people are incorrectly teaching that you shouldn't spank a child. You shouldn't spank a child. That's a bunch of bull. According to the Bible, yes, you must spank or, or beat a child, but not beat him to the point you kill him, but you, you beat him in mean business. You know, and the Bible says that. And I'm going to go by what the Bible says, not by what somebody who thinks that they're better than God says. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 15. Okay, that word rod means a, a, a stick, the stick of correction. And it says, uh, and, and actually in the King James Version, it says, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. So as I, I stated at the beginning of this Bible study, that we all have foolishness bound in our hearts from birth. And the rod of correction and a little force, a little spanking, and the way the spanking should be done uh, with a male or female, uh, a female with her panties or uh, with a young child with his uh, underwear, uh, you should either use your hand or a belt and, and spank him with that belt or your hand, not to the point of killing him, but a point to where they get they under they feel the pain, and then you stop, and then you should uh, when they cry and so forth, you should hug him and say, "Hey, I'm sorry that I did this, but I did it for your own good, so that you realize that what you did was wrong." That's the way you do it. You don't go and just knock them in the head and slap them and punch them and push and shove and, and threaten. That's abuse. You don't do that. That's not, that's not correcting your child in a loving way. But if you do it with your hand and spank them with the underwear on, you know, uh, with a little force so they understand or she understands, I would, I would recommend that the mothers spank the daughters, and the father spank the son. All right, I, and of course, if there's just, a, yeah, I, I would recommend them because cause, uh, 
the mother it should be strong enough to to get the message across to the daughter. So that's that's what I would do. Uh, and the sons, of course, um, especially when they get older, they get a little more stronger. And the mother, when they spank and they just they smile and say, hey, 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 I didn't feel nothing, you know. So so the, the father should definitely take over in regards to spanking the sons. But anyway, you may be asking, how long should you spank? Well, I know Dr. Uh, Dobson of uh, Focus of the Family states at age 12 you should stop. It, it depends on the, on the maturity level of, of the child, too. I mean, if you start taking things away, which is what you do after they're 12 years old, you start taking away their privileges, you find out what they like, and you take it away from them. Believe me, it works. <laughs> if you find out what somebody likes, you take it away from them. They don't like that. So after 12 years old, or you know, if they mature 10 or even 9, 10, 11 years old, and you start taking things away from them, and you realize that they understand, what happened to them, and, and they could, they're, they're mature enough to understand that it hurts them, then uh, by all means start doing that as soon as possible. But the purpose of child rearing is not to beat the crap out of your child, okay? Uh, the purpose of, of child rearing is to develop a God-fearing human being, all right? And uh, sometimes uh, you have to, to really exhibit force for them to get the message. Okay, um, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23, starting at verse 13. It says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if you beat us him with the rod, he shall not die. And I said, well, they're, they're trying to deceive people today. These, these so-called psychiatrists they are saying that it's wrong to spank a child, and God doesn't agree with them. Verse 14, thou shalt beat them with the rod. He's emphasizing, let you understand, he's talking something about physical here. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. Okay, so that's what God tells you to do. And my job is to preach to you what God tells you to do, not what some psychiatrist that think he knows more than God uh, tells you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 23, starting in, in verse 13, it says, Don't withhold discipline from a child. If you beat him with a stick, he won't die. If you beat him with a stick, you will save him from Sheol, or, or you will save him from being thrown in Gehenna fire, basically. So that's what God, again, is telling you to do. Now, let's look up these words in the original uh, Hebrew to understand what he's talking about here. Um, now, when it says, thou beatest him, it means to to do it lightly, okay, to do it in a way where it doesn't cause... Uh, Serious damage. It should be love done. It should be applied in love. When God punishes people, believe it or not, it's done in love. And he knows just how much punishment to execute. And we need to learn from that example. All right? And uh, the word beat, it means, again, lightly or severely. In this case, it has to be talking about lightly. But with force. Lightly and gently and carefully, but with force. You can't just give a, a, a child a spanking and it doesn't hurt them. It has to be done with force. It has to be some pain involved in it for them to understand the message. Okay? In Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, let me uh, read this in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake here. 
Okay. Verse 9, it says, Furthermore, we have physical fathers. Hebrews 12, verse 9, the complete Jewish Bible version. Furthermore, we have physical fathers who discipline us, and we respected them. How much more should we submit to our spiritual father and live? For they discipline us only for a short time and only as best they could. But he, he's talking about God, disciplines us in a way that provides genuine benefit to us and enables us to share in his holiness. Now, all discipline while it is happening does indeed seem painful. So it's not supposed to feel good. Uh, it says, now all discipline while it is happening does indeed seem painful, not enjoyable for those who have been trained by it. It later produces its peaceful fruit, which is righteousness. Okay, that's the purpose of it. When you spank that child, it's like the Bible says, you're going to save him from hell. And I hope my son's listening to this and realize the reason why he's gotten spanked before is to save him from hell, from death. And he should appreciate it, and I think he does. All right, uh, Proverbs chapter 29. Now, he's too old to get spanked now, but I certainly take strength privileges from him when he acts up. Proverbs 29, verse 15. And right here, it states here in Proverbs 29, verse 15. Proverbs 29, verse uh, 15. It says, The rod and rebuke gives wisdom. But a child left himself brings shame on his mother. So mothers, if uh, you don't want shame brought on you, please allow your husband to discipline your child and correct your child. If you do not, if you start to, to, to raise your hand in objection like you're in the court, okay, and the judge, which is in this case your husband, and he wants to righteously correct your child, if you don't allow him to do that, the Bible says you, it'll bring shame on you. Okay, bring shame on you. So you don't want shame on you. So please allow your husband to do his job. The rod and rebuke gives wisdom. It does not give stupidity. All right? Okay. Um, then in verse 17, it states, uh, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yes, he shall give the light unto thy soul. I know we all want peace. Well, if you... Correct your children, ladies and gentlemen. You'll have peace. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11. States this. It says, Because the punishment decree for an evil act is not promptly carried out, therefore people who plan to do evil are strengthened in their intentions. So when, when you see a child doing something, you know, you say, Larry, stop, stop, uh, throwing the ball through the window. And he busts one window. And he said, Larry, stop throwing the ball through the window. He keeps on doing it. you you, you got to do something. You can't keep on allowing the child throw a ball through a window. And this is an extreme example, but I'm just, I'm just giving an example to help you understand. You've got to execute the punishment quickly, or else what will happen? Well, again, Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11, because the punishment decree for an evil act is not promptly carried out, semicolon, therefore people who plan to do evil are strengthened in their intentions. They continue to do it. They continue to do it. And then, of course, these psychiatrists say today that you shouldn't punish or you shouldn't spank or, or whatever, and they don't know what they're talking about. Proverbs 29, verse 19. Proverbs 29, verse 19. Now, not all of them are like that, but I'm just saying there's some psychiatrists that teach that you shouldn't spank at all, which is, is not biblical. 
Proverbs 29, verse 19, it says, A slave or a servant can't be disciplined with words. He may understand, but he won't respond. So that's the natural tendency of most of us. Uh, we, we, we just don't get it with words, uh, but we get it when we get spanked, or we get it when we have privileges taken away from us. So that's just the way we are inherently. Exodus chapter 22. Now, I, I'm going to get into... Uh, I wanted to spend more time with this, but unfortunately, because of lack of time, I'm not going to be able to spend time with this. But one of the biggest things that that is a real serious problem with our generation in particular um, is this girlfriend-boyfriend scenario or, or, or thing that seems to begin almost as early as 12 or 13 years old. And let me explain what I'm saying. I know when I was 14, because my parents didn't know any better, you know, I, I had my first kiss. I was 14 years old, French kiss, you know, tongue, touching tongue and all that. And I wish I never would have done that because that started me on the journey of the girlfriend-boyfriend thing. And all I was thinking about was having sex and kissing girls and who's the, who's the latest and cutest girl out there and, and so forth. And it's, no, it's, it's, it's far worse today than it was back then. Today, what they're doing, they, they have... Uh, iPods or on their cell phones, they're able to, to take pictures of themselves naked, these teenagers, and transmit that image through the cell phone. They call it sexing. Sexting, that's what they call it. And that's what they're doing today. And I saw on YouTube, I'm, not t I'm telling you these things, not because uh, I have a perverted mind, but I'm telling you these things to warn you parents of the wickedness that children are participating in today. Not all of them, but a lot of them are participating in this in this type of wickedness. Uh, you have these kids going to dances uh, and, and they're grinding on each other, rubbing each other, rubbing on each other, uh, making symbolic type of uh, figurative type of motion sexually. Uh, you have reports of, of course, teachers having sex with kids, and you have reports of kids having sex with each other on the bus and in classrooms where the teachers are not there. I can just go on and on and on. But this situation with sex is a huge problem with teenagers. And I just got to, uh, in preparation for this Bible study, uh, I was reading um, to traditions of the Jews, the righteous traditions, and one of their traditions is uh, to emphasize that dating is done by two adults who are thinking seriously about marriage. Dating should never be done just as a girlfriend-boyfriend thing, just to have a relationship and, and just to be around each other, hold each other, hug each other, and, and, and try to do everything you possibly can without going all the way. That's not what dating is all about, ladies and gentlemen. Dating is for adults. An adult is 18 years old, biblically. Uh, between 18 and 20 years old. That's when a human being should seriously think about dating. Dating is used for a serious conversation or conversations about getting married. The two people should not even go to a movie. They should actually focus. How is the movie helping them focus on each other? They're just shutting up and look at the movie. What they need to do is focus on what they're dating each other for anyway, to, to get to know one another, to see whether or not they're compatible for marriage. And they're, they're, I think I'm going to do another program on this in detail about God's way of dating, you know. But I'm just summarizing this. 
And there's biblical instruction that the Jews have followed where the, in the case of the daughter, the man that wants to marry the daughter should go get the approval from her father. And, of course, if her father's not alive, then some fatherly figure and so forth. And it's very, very righteous. And I know a lot of you may say, well, this is weird what this guy is talking about. Well, what what has dating done, what has teenage dating done for society today? You have quite a few infidelities. You have abortions. Many of them are done by teenage girls uh, because of sex, uh, of them at an early age wanting to have sex and, and thinking about boys when they should be thinking about going to school. You know, as far as puberty, puberty starts around 14, 13 years old for girls and around 14, 15 for, for boys. And during biblical times, a teenager did get married. But unfortunately, because of society and the way it's set up now, there's an unfortunate delay. And that delay is, is, is bad because when God designed you to start having sexual feelings, that's when you should get married. But unfortunately, society is set up now where it causes you to delay growing up. <laughs> and in many teenagers today, they frown about working. Well, teenagers back in biblical times were working. When they were 13, 14, 12 years old, working. They were working. And by the time they were, you know, there's there's certain laws in, in certain states. I think a lot of states, they do allow marriages at 16 years old. Because they know that somebody at 16 could be mature enough to get married. But we've lost that today. We we spoil our kids and say, let them go to college, let them do that. You know, that that's not right. That's not right. And then um, I was reading this book about how, um, let me see if I can find a page here. This, this book is called The Sketches of Jewish Social Life by Alfred Edersheim, or Sheem. And I, and I suggest, highly recommend you get this book and read uh, the chapters that I just got through reading, Jewish Homes, The Upbringing of Jewish Children, The Subjects of Study, Home Education in Israel, Female Education Schools and Schools Masters. But anyway, I'm going to quote something here that's very important to understand. First of all, this is the Jewish understanding, which I, I believe is totally backed up by Scripture and, and how we live about the process of human life. Uh, it says, at five years old, one is fit for the Scripture. So at five years old, you should be teaching your children the Scriptures. At ten years old, for the Mishnah, the Mishnah is... Let me explain what that is. The Mishnah is uh, the oral law traditions that were passed on by the Jews, and it was written down in 200, uh, I think about 250 A.D. And a lot of those traditions are good. Some of them don't make sense, but a lot of them do make sense. At 10 years for the Mishnah, at 13 for the fulfilling of the commandments. So at 13, a, 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 a son should be fulfilling the commandments. At 15 for the Talmud, at 18 for the bride chamber. So at 18 years old, um, a man is qualified to, and a woman is qualified to get married at that particular point in time. At 20, for pursuing a calling. At 30, for authority. At 40, for discernment. At 50, for counsel. At 60, uh, to be an elder. At 70, for gray hairs. At 80, for special strength. At 90, for bowed back. And at 100, a man is as one that has already died and passed away and ceased from the world. This is from the Mishnah, Abbott, verse uh, 21. Now... I wanted to read something else here that was significant. 
Well, it says the purpose of, of a man's life here. It says, these are the things of which a man eats the fruit in this world, but their possession continue for the next world. To honor father and mother, pious or you know righteous works, peacemaking between man and man, and the study of the Torah, which is equivalent to them all. That's the reason why we live, ladies and gentlemen, not for ourselves. And unfortunately in America, we're taught that we should live for ourselves. Okay, I'm still trying to find this here. Uh, let's see, I, know I underlined it here. Okay, this this is they had schools back in the, in the time of Jesus, and the schools were in the Jewish synagogues, and. Let me, uh, this is on page 126 of Sketches of a Jewish Social Life. It says, The grand object of the teacher was moral as well as intellectual training, to keep children from an all intercourse with the vicious, to suppress all feelings of bitterness, even though wrong had been done to one's parents, to punish all real wrongdoing, not to prefer one child to another, rather to show sin and repulsiveness than to predict what punishment would follow, either in this or the next world, so as not to discourage a child, such as some of the rules laid down. A teacher was not even to promise a child anything which he did not mean to perform, that not his mind be familiarized with falsehood. And, of course, uh, you know that's, that's what the Jews were supposed to do, but, uh, of course, the Bible prophesied that they have failed in, in that area. We all have, uh, unfortunately. Um, everything that might call up a disagreeable or indelicate thoughts was to be carefully avoided. Any, everything that might call up disagreeable or indelicate thoughts was to be carefully avoided. The teacher must not lose patience if his pupil understood, not readily, but rather make the lesson more plain. He might indeed, and he should, punish when necessary. And as one of the rabbis put it, treat the child like a young heifer whose burden was da daily increased. But excessive severity was to be avoided, and we are told of one teacher who was actually dismissed from office for this reason. Where possible, try kindness, and if punishment was to be administered, let the child be beaten with a strap, but never with a rod. At 10, the child began to study the Mishnah. At 15, he must be ready for Talmud, which could be explained to him in a more advanced academy. If after three or at most five years of tuition, the child had not made decided progress, there was little hope of his attaining to eminence. Now, you notice that the Bible was not taken out the classroom. Today it is. You can't even pray in these public schools. So that's the reason why the public school system is really a bad, a really horrible way to educate your children today. The the modern school system today is is I think is only what maybe 100 years, 150 years. Well, actually, public school system was started in the 19th century, in the 20th century, uh, toward the latter half of I think of the 19th century definitely in the 20th century. And the public school system is, is right now, we, uh, other countries are training their children far, far better than we in this country. And I think one of the major reasons why is because in this country anyway, the Bible or morality is taken out of the classroom. It's, it's almost taboo. It is taboo to pray about God in the classroom and to talk about God. It wasn't like that um in the early uh, 1700s in this country, and in the early part of 1800s. But the Bible was successfully taken out of the classroom. 
and, and you can tell by the way our children act today. If after three or at most five years of tuition, the child had not made the decided progress, this is on page 127 of this book, The Sketches of Jewish Social Life, there was little hope of his attaining to eminence, in other words, being a Torah teacher. In the study of the Bible, the pupil was to proceed from the book of Leviticus to the rest of the Pentateuch, thence, uh, the, the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible, thence to the prophets and last to the Hagiographa, that's the rest of the writings of, of the Bible that aren't the uh, first five books of the prophets. This regulation was in accordance with the degree of value which the rabbis attached to, the, to these divisions of the Bible. In the case of advanced pupils, the day was portioned out, one part being devoted to the Bible, the other two to the Mishnah and the Talmud. Every parent was also advised to have his child taught swimming. And I'm glad I taught, we taught Kennard how to swim. It has already been stated that, in general, the school was held in a synagogue. So it was, it was held, and the schools today definitely aren't held in a, in a church building setting. That's what a synagogue is. That's where we got the idea from the synagogue, from the Jews. We got all of our concepts and ideas of religion from the Jews, and yet we, we say that the Jews are, are I mean, we, we, we get anti-Semitic at times, especially when we say that the law has been nailed to the cross. But anyway, it has already been stated that in general the school was held in the synagogue. Commonly, its teacher was a shazen or minister, uh, by which expression we are to understand not a spiritual office, but some something like that of a... Um, Fidel, I guess. That's how you pronounce that. Let me see. Look this up. B E Well anyway, that's a word that's not even Western Dictionary. <laughs> but anyway, it says it's not not to understand the spiritual office. This officer was salaried by the congregation. Nor was he allowed to receive fees from his pupils, that not he should show favor to the rich. The expenses were met by voluntary and charitable contributions, and in case of deficiency, the most distinguished rabbis did not hesitate to go about and collect aid from the wealthy. The number of hours during which the junior classes were kept in school was limited, as the close air of the schoolroom might prove injurious during uh, the, the heat of the day. Lessons were intermittent between 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. It says, no teacher was employed who was not a married man. So that's pretty significant. To discourage unwholesome rivalry and to raise a general educational standard, parents were prohibited from sending their children to other than the schools of their, very, of their own towns. And he says, a very beautiful trait was the care bestowed on the children of the poor and on the orphans. And the temple there was a special receptacle, that of the secret for contributions, which were privately applied for the education of the children of the pious poor. To adopt and bring up an orphan was regarded as especially a good work, this reminds us of the apostolic description of a widow indeed as one well-reported for good works, who had bought up children, lodged strangers, washed the saints' feet, relieved the afflicted, diligently followed every good work. Indeed, orphans were the special charge of the whole congregation, not thrust into poorhouses, and the authorities were even bound to provide a fixed dowry for female orphans. Such were the surroundings and such the atmosphere in which Jesus of Nazareth moved with tabernacling among men, which is pretty good there. I'm trying to find this other scroll. Here we go. It says, uh, hence, and it's on page 125, hence it was arranged that rabbis should be appointed in every district and that lads of 16 or 17 years should be sent to their academies. But this institution fell since every lad ran away if he was chastised by his master. At last, Joshua, the son of Gamiel, 
Gamaliel arranged that in every province and in every town schoolmasters be appointed who should take charge of all boys from six or seven years of age. We may add at once that the, the Joshua here spoken of was probably the high priest of that name who flourished before the destruction of the temple and that unquestionably this father organization implied at least the existence of elementary schools at an earlier period. Every place then which numbered 25 boys of suitable age or according to Mammonites, uh, which was a famous Jewish scholar, 120 families was bound to appoint a schoolmaster, more than 25 pupils or thereabouts he was not allowed to teach in a class. If there were 40, he had to employ an assistant. If 50, the synagogue authorities appointed two teachers. This will enable us to understand this statement, no doubt greatly exaggerated, that at the destruction of, of Jerusalem there were no fewer than 480 schools in the metropolis. But indeed, to the Jew, child life was something peculiar, uh, peculiarly holy and a duty of filling it with the thoughts of God's specially sacred. The grand object of the teacher was moral as well as intellectual training. And in, in page 124 of this book, it says, uh, Supposing then a child to be so far educated at home, suppose him also to be there continually taught the commandments and observances, and as atonement expressly states, to be encouraged to repeat the prayers aloud, so as, accustom, as to accustom him to it. At six years of age, he would be sent to school, not to an academy or Beth Hamadrash, which he would only attend if he proved apt and promising, far less to the classroom of, of a great rabbi or the discussion of the Sanhedrin, which marked at a very advanced stage of study. We are here speaking only of primary or elementary schools, such as even in the time of our Lord were attached to every synagogue in the land, passing over the supposed or real biblical notices of schools and confining uh, our attention strictly to the period ending with the destruction of the temple. We have first a notice in the Talmud ascribing to Ezra an ordinance that as many schoolmasters as choose as chose should be allowed to establish themselves in any place and that those who had formerly been settled there might not interfere with them. In all likelihood, this notice should not be taken in its literal sense, but as an indication that the encouragement of schools and of education engaged the attention of Ezra and, and of his successors. Now, unfortunately, because schools don't combine the Bible with the classroom, I would suggest highly that you homeschool your children. My child is homeschooled. He's getting straight A's. And I think the biggest objection is, well, he doesn't have a social life. Well, he does have a social life. He plays tennis um, with children his age, and he doesn't need to have a social life with a lot of these teenagers anyway because a lot of these teenagers are already thinking about is sex and, and, and MTV and which party and who's the cutest girl and who's the cutest boy. I, would, I don't want him to be around that social life anyway. So um, that's something that you need to, to think about and, and uh, do something about. So there's a scripture um, that I want to refer you to here, uh, starting in yeah, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Chapter 3. Starting in verse 15. Well, actually, in verse 14, it's talking about Timothy here. And it says, But you, continue, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, But you, continue what you have learned and have become convinced of, recalling the people from whom you learned it, and recalling, too, how from childhood. And that word, if you look that word up in, in the King James Version, in the original Greek, from a child, that means infant. 
So from an infant, he knew the Holy Scriptures. From an infant, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And in verse 16, he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. Let me read this in the complete Jewish Bible version. It says, all scripture, in verse 16, in the complete Jewish Bible version, all scripture is God-breed and is valuable for teaching the truth, convicting of sin, correcting faults, and training in right living. Verse 17, thus anyone who belongs to God may be fully equipped for every good work. And he was taught from infancy the word of God. So that, that's very important that you understand that, ladies and gentlemen. All right, um, I have... How many minutes? Nine minutes left here. Let me quickly quote some other scriptures here. And then, of course, Christ, and people use this gives away, he was Christ, but still, he says for us to follow his example, ladies and gentlemen, so we must follow his example. So let me see if I can find this here. It talks about when he was, um, yeah, and, and Luke 2, verse 42, it says, when he was 12 years old, talking about the Messiah here, they went out for the festival as custom required. Uh, Luke 2, verse 42, and then verse 42, but after the festival was over, when his parents returned, Yeshua remained in Jerusalem. They didn't realize this, or Jerusalem. Verse 44, supposing that he was somewhere in a caravan, they spent the whole day on the, on the road before they began searching for him among their relatives and friends. Failing to find him, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. On the third day they found him. He was sitting in the temple court among the rabbis, not only listening to them, but questioning what they said. And everyone who heard him was astonished at his insight and responses. And that is at age 12. Okay, and I already read you from infancy that Timothy knew the scriptures. So that's proof. On top of proof that you've got to really teach the scriptures to your children. And you have to start as early as possible. So anyway, Psalm 119. And you've got to teach them to love those scriptures more than gold and honey. Because if you don't do that, they're not going to do it. They're not going to love it. They're going to love these stupid video games and, and wheeze and, and all kinds of other stupid games out there to take their, their, their minds off of God. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 9, you know, the we is not all stupid, but it can be if you don't, if you don't do it in moderation. I mean, think about the we, at least it's physical interaction. Psalm 119, verse 37. Turn my eyes away from worthless things with your, your ways. Give me life. So David had prayed to God to turn his eyes away from worthless things, and I'm going to definitely get to what those worthless things are here in a minute in these last six minutes. Uh... Psalm 101, verse 3. Psalm 101, verse 3. It states, uh, I will not allow before my eyes any shameful thing or evil thing in the King James Version. I hate those who act crookedly. What they do does not attract me. In other words, he, he does not like what they do. Okay, and he said, Deviousness will depart from me in verse 4. I will not tolerate evil. And that's what we need to teach our children, not to tolerate evil. Now let's get to the big wicked television. Television was created after the United Nations, back in 1947, I think they were created, and then the television exploded in the 1950s. And television and the family, you ought to get this 
by doing research. This is from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you do on Google, search for television in the family. And it says, family is the most important influence in a child's life, but television is not far behind. Television can inform, entertain, and teach us. However, some of what TV teaches may not be the things you want your children to learn. TV programs and commercials often show violence, alcohol or drug use, and sexual content that may not be suitable for children or teens. Studies show that TV viewing may lead to more aggressive behavior and less physical activity. By knowing how television affects your children and by setting limits, controls, you can help make your child's TV watching experience not only enjoyable, but healthy too. So, you know, not everything in television is bad, but a lot of it is, okay, and particularly with the violence. If your child watches three to four hours of non-educational TV per day, he will have seen about 8,000 murders on TV by the time he finishes grade school. Children who see violence on television may not understand that real violence hurts and kills people. Even if the good guys use violence, children may learn that it is okay to use force to handle aggression and settle disagreements. It is best not to let your child watch violent programs and cartoons or sex. Television exposes children to adult behaviors like sex, but it usually does not show the risks and results of early sexual activity. On TV, sexual activity is shown as normal, fun, exciting, and without any risks. Your child may copy what she or he sees on television in order to feel more grown up. And that's just an example of the many. And then time, children in the United States watch about four hours of television per day. Watching movies on tape and playing video games only adds to the time spent in front of the TV screen. Okay? And um, it may be tempting to use television, movies, and video games to keep your children busy, but your child needs to spend as much time growing and learning as possible. Playing, reading, and spending time with friends and family are much healthier than sitting in front of a television screen. And I agree. So this is a real good article on, I suggest you, you get this and you study it and, 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 and you, you believe it. These are done by experts that have done studies and, and show you that television can do more harm than good if they're looking at it too much. Okay? So let's, let's understand that in video games, I, I highly suggest you get this book called PlayStation Nation. And uh, I did want to quote on a few, well, let me quote on page 22 here of this. It says on page 23, a November 2005 story in New Scientist magazine titled Gaming Fanatics Show Hallmarks of Drug Addiction offers startling insight into just how similar video and computer game addiction is to more commonly understood addictions. Similar to chemical dependence, excessive video game play creates its own version of something called drug memories, visual cues in the brain that cause craving for the desired substance or activity. It says, uh, Sabine Grusser of Charit University of Medicine, Berlin, conducted a study that showed how excessive computer game players exhibited classic signs of craving when presented with visual images from some of their favorite games. Those tested wanted desperately to play, expecting to feel better once they did, and fully intended to indulge again as soon as possible. So this, the, the television and video computer game industry, ladies and gentlemen, is designed to get your children and you hooked and dependent on it. And, 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 it's, and it's something that the devil has created. Now, not all of it is wrong. I mean, he tricks you, right? He, he has some truth in everything that he does. But the truth is there to lure you into the other garbage. And what I'm suggesting you do, highly suggest you do, and you teach and train your children not to be so dependent on the television and, and on the video game. Matter of fact, I would suggest you take the television away. The television is really, there's so much wickedness on television, it's hard to control 
what is seen on television. And I know one, one, one Jewish man that does that. But you got to get to your children as quickly as possible. Get them unhooked from the television because if you don't, they're going to be so dependent on it and they're going to think there's something wrong with you if you take it away from them. So anyway, as far as the substitution for cartoons, um, you should uh, go to Focus on a Family and look at the adventures in Odyssey. Uh, Dr. Dobson, James Dobson, he developed this because he knew of the wickedness of all the cartoons that these kids were looking at, and he wanted to find an alternative uh, cartoon. He wanted to create an alternative cartoon or fantasy land for children to focus on that's focused on God. And that's what that is. I, you know, My son listened to it uh, when he was 12 years old, and it kind of helped him uh, with his focus on, on what cartoons are good and what cartoons aren't good to look at or what what things that are good to listen to that are fantasy and what things are, that are good to listen to that's not good, that is fantasy. So Adventures in Odyssey, go to the Focus on the Family uh, website and look at that. I highly recommend that you... Uh, get your children to, to uh, listen to the adventures and Odyssey adventures and also to get the cartoons. So that completes the Bible study here about how you should raise your children. And if you have any other questions or concerns, please um, contact me. Until then, until the next program, rather, may God bless you and keep you, and may God protect you. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.